let's think about uh, good morning you know, we're we're continuing through our series on spirit words we're considering the speeches in the book of acts um, when we left peter and john last week they had just healed a man blind from birth um, Peter said as he was entering into the temple, it was at three o'clock and it was the time for a sacrifice and time when people would beg alms for those who were entering the, the, the temple to pray and to sacrifice. And he ran into a, a, a person that had been lame from birth. Peter says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk. And this individual who had been lame from birth experienced his ankles and his feet miraculously strengthened he started to jump and leap and praise god entered the temple with peter and john for the first time he had not been able to enter into the inner courts because he was defective and this was the first time he had been able to penetrate some of the more inner courtyards a crowd gathered in response to this and peter addressed them up to this point when the apostles are speaking and we describe them as they are the new wineskins for the new wine they hadn't experienced much conflict but in chapter four the picture changes the individuals who persecuted jesus will now persecute his disciples um, we'll pick it up from acts chapter four verse one the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Uh, there were a couple of just some brief things about Israel at the time in terms of how they did business. There were two political parties in Israel and they represented the leadership, the government of Israel at the time. They were Pharisees and Sadducees. Israel's government was a theocracy, which means that the law of God was the law of the land. And both the Pharisees and the Sadducees would make decisions based on what it said, especially in the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's considered the law or the Torah. It, the law, so this Torah to first century Israel, what is what the U.S. Constitution is to the United States. And both Pharisees and Sadducees revered the law. The difference was that Pharisees made room for the rest of the Old Testament as well. But the Sadducees did not. They only saw the first five books as inspired. And the Pharisees also considered there was a very a great oral tradition passed down. This rabbi said this about this passage. And this oral tradition grew and grew and grew. And to be a Pharisee, you not only had to know the Bible, but you had to memorize this oral tradition. It was a tremendous amount of material. Um, it was composed and compiled in the first century, and it took up a number of volumes. Um, so they memorized the uh, what was kind of like an encyclopedia. They had to be really smart. Um, the Pharisees then, they, they revered this oral tradition as well. Uh, the Sadducees rejected the oral tradition. They didn't, nah, 
They didn't, they didn't see that as divine. The first five books were divine. Therefore, Pharisees, Sadducees believed, had some different beliefs. Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead, reward and punishment, because these kind of concepts are found not in the first five books, but in the prophets and the poets and the Psalms. Um, the uh, Sadducees rejected stuff like this. More important, though, as we think about what's happening in the temple and the, the, the individuals in leadership are coming and Peter and John are speaking, there was their political orientation. Uh, the prime concern of the Sadducees, the Sadducees, they wanted to preserve the status quo. Again, they were in place because Rome allowed them to be in place, and they wanted to avoid any conflict or confrontation with the Roman authorities. Their concert, their concern was to make peace with the Romans and preserve the status quo. Pharisees, they didn't feel the same way. They felt the Messiah was going to come. He was going to restore Israel to the kind of greatness it had when David and Solomon were kings. And so they didn't mind anti-Roman sentiment. And that's where Pharisees and Sadducees kind of divided. Um, what ended up happening then, verse 5, the next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. <laughs> The Sanhedrin, that's the name given to this group of people. They were like the Supreme Court in Israel. They met every day as 71 members. And it was made up of rulers, elders, and teachers of the law. Rulers were people who were priests. They were the full-time clergy. The elders were lay people from long-standing Jewish families. And they then uh, were Sadducees as well, the priests and the elders, they had the same type of Sadducee view. They wanted to retain the status quo. They didn't want a lot of revolutionary talk and revolutionary concepts. The teachers were the students of the law, and these were the Pharisees. Uh, most scribes and teachers of the law were Pharisees. The Sadducees were annoyed at Peter and John for, for political reasons. The idea that they were proclaiming um, actually, they made them nervous because they believed that it would make Rome nervous. There were elements of Peter's sermon that allowed that alarmed them. They're speaking of resurrection and the author of life and a new Moses. These were revolutionary ideas. This movement must not spread. And so, what the Sadducees would want to do as part of this governing body was to nip this thing in the bud. They arrested Peter and John, placed them in jail until the next morning. And then they, in verse seven, we found out what happened. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. 
Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Peter doesn't hold back anything. Again, when you consider that a matter of not too long before, he was cowering before a servant girl. And what Jesus had promised them, don't be afraid. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And don't be afraid before when you get pulled into the authorities, because it will be given to you in that moment what you need. And we find that's exactly what Peter is speaking these things. And his, the, the depth of what he knows is really impressive. We'll find out um, the themes Peter des describes or presents are the same as before. The healing name of Jesus, he says that he comes as Jesus' representative, and he heals in Jesus' name. So he is really somebody who is doing the bidding of Jesus. The, um, the guilt of the Jews who rejected Jesus, and he makes a strong point of that, and he always draws from Scripture to support that all these things that were happening, they were prophesied and predicted in the Old Testament. It talks about the builders that the were the creators of Israel. They would reject the capstone that God would send, and that's what Peter is telling them, that what they're doing was predicted. Um, and it goes on, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, in verse 13, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. To be unschooled and ordinary, they weren't full-time theologians. They had not been theologically trained. They had been to school, but they hadn't received a theological education. And so, but the, these individuals who are the theological Supreme Court are amazed at the confidence and the depth of what they're saying. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with this man, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle, and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. What they did, they ordered the accused to leave. They would have stood Peter and John in the midst of them and then heard them. And then they said, OK, get out of here because we want to talk about you. And so they did that. They got out of there so that they could talk about them. They were astonished that even though they had not been theologically trained, they were so insightful. They recognized them as having been with Jesus, but they were at, at somewhat of a loss. They had no basis on which to accuse them of a crime. All they did was heal a crippled, a lame person. And the accused, they were popular with the people. The news about the healing of this man had spread throughout Jerusalem. He was 40 years old. And the miracle was particularly striking. So the only thing they could do was threaten. They ordered the apostles no longer to speak in the name. And then Peter again responds to that. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about 
what we have seen and heard. And as apostles, that's what they were supposed to do, testify to what they had seen. And so they are presenting evidence to the people that Jesus really is the Messiah, that the ability to heal in his name indicates that Jesus didn't just die and was raised, but he was raised to the right hand of the Father. The things that they are doing in his name testify to the fact that Jesus has been given a place of lordship over the world. And that's what they're pointing out. The miracles indicate that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And um, so he said that, so they are producing and, and giving this evidence. Uh, a couple things as we think about, oh, what does this mean for us? You know, so we learn a little bit about how Israel governed itself. But what does this mean for us a couple thousand years later? A couple things, as we talked before. When Jesus made a promise to the disciples, he kept it. Here's what it says in Luke 12, 11 through 12. When they bring you before the synagogue and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And apparently then what Peter said was thoughts that were given to him, that he remembered Jesus saying, and he was he got there and he felt the power and the ability to very confidently say these things. And Jesus promised that that would be the case, and he kept his promise as he does. I want us to understand, though, that what's happening here, it represents a seismic shift in governance. These individuals, these 71 individuals, they are the leaders of the land. They are the Supreme Court. And these individuals coming to challenge them, it's really making a strong statement. Imagine senators going into Senate chambers. Now, the senators are those in our country who hold the power to make and cancel laws. Uh, imagine senators using their swipe card to enter the Senate chambers. Imagine a Republican senator comes in, uses a swipe card. I guess they use swipe cards, I'm not sure. And it doesn't work. And so if a Republican using a swipe card wasn't allowed entrance, certainly there would be a Democrat that would be snickering. <laughs> and then let's imagine this Democrat, then he uses his swipe card. His doesn't work either. And now imagine that there's a couple of people who are not politicians. They come in, they use a swipe card, and they're allowed entrance. That's kind of what's happening here. These are the individuals who had made the laws and who spoke for God. And now these upstarts who had been with Jesus, they are claiming the authority to speak for God. They're telling this group of individuals who believe they spoke for God that they no longer do. What this means then is that the Sanhedrin, this group of 71, they represent old wine and old skins. Remember Jesus talked about that, wine and wineskins. He says, you can put old wine in old skins, but you can't put new wine in old skins or it will break the skins. No, you put old wine in old skins, you put new wine in new skins. The old wine and the old skins, that's a Sanhedrin. The, the form of governance that was established based on the law of Moses. Now, the, the apostles and disciples of Jesus, they represent something different. They represent new wine and new wineskins. But there were a lot of people trapped in the middle. 
it, may, it must have been very confusing at the time because these were the individuals that had always led the people. And now the disciples of Jesus are claiming that they speak for God. Later on, if we turn the clock ahead um, to the end of Paul's life, about three years later, decades later, um, he comes into Jerusalem. And this is what happened in Acts 21. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. They said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews had believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. It was really difficult for individuals who lived at the time to understand that because Jesus is speaking for God, in that sense, the old covenant is no longer how God deals with the people. And there, it took a long time for individuals to understand what it meant to be a Christian. There were Jews at the time who said, I believe in Jesus, but they said, I also believe that the old covenant is in place. And that represents, if the Sanhedrin represents old wine and old wineskins, the apostles and disciples represent new wine and new wineskins. What do these people represent who believe that Jesus is who he says he is, but that the law of Moses is still in effect? You know what that's called? New wine and old wineskins. And what ended up, Jesus ended up saying, that's not going to work. And it didn't work. It was very confusing for the people. Um, how does this apply to us? The reason why? This turbulence happened, this shift in how things happen, this confusion. The reason it happened is so that these Jews would be dispelled from Jerusalem. They would go to the Roman Empire, and our ability to talk this morning and to think about eternal life, to have the hope of hearing the gospel and knowing that by believing in Jesus, we can have eternal life. This is really because of what they experienced. They went through all this confusion so that we Gentiles could understand the good news. And so one application then is to kind of look at the confusion of this and say, God, thank you for creating the ability for us to understand what you say, to send someone who speaks on your behalf so that we could hear. Um, I guess a, a last thing would be, uh, to make room for God's word. Here's what Jesus said when individuals at the time believed. Here's what Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, that it really wasn't enough just to believe him. Receiving him means receiving him as a rabbi, making room for his words in our minds. The Christian word is not receive Christ in prayer. That happens, but it's to receive him as a rabbi, to make room in your mind for Jesus' words and God's words. What Jesus promised us, that if we do that, we are his disciples. And the truth of God that we put in our mind, it will, we will end up knowing the truth, and then the truth will liberate us. And that's the promise that Jesus makes to us, and he always keeps his promises. Let me pray for us. 
Father, I want to thank you for, you know, things that we don't fully understand. You know, we see Peter and John, and they're with a group of individuals who are the court of Israel at the time, and the conflict. I don't know that we can fully understand how confusing that was for them at that time, to have such a seismic shift in apparently what you say, that Jesus claims the right to speak for you in a way that Moses could not. But now we see that that is exactly what happened. And, and because of their confusion, we are in the position to be able to talk about these words, these spirit words. Thanks for that. And as we hear spirit words, give us the ability to keep them in our brain. Because what you promised Jesus is that the time we spend thinking about your words, it's not wasted. That that's what disciples do. They think about what the rabbi said. They consider his words. They make room for them. And as they do so, the words take root and create clarity in our minds. We end up seeing you and understanding what new wine and new skins is about, that you do not come to us as the God of Sinai, but as the God of Calvary. As that becomes clear, as we have covenant clarity, we start to be feel a sense of freedom and liberation. We start to relate to you, not as slaves to a master, but as sons and daughters to a father. Thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>